Thanks for tuning in. I am your host, Charles Wallace. Today's guest is a rancher, and his family's ranch goes back to the 1800s, six generations. And his mission is not only to raise great cattle, but he wants to share the truth about the American rancher. So please, without further ado, let's welcome Tucker Brown to the show. Hey, Tucker, how you doing today? Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hey, honored to be a part of it, and thanks for asking and being flexible to uh, get a time to work for both of us, but yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, me me too. Uh, you know, I kind of said this to you before we started, you know, this definitely a little bit outside the norm for me and my comfort zone, but I think when I have looked at some of your content on LinkedIn, I think it translates, and I think you have a lot to offer, and I think the audience is going to get a lot out of this, so um, that being said, would you mind giving a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Tucker Brown. I'm from North Texas. Uh, my family's been ranching in Texas since 1895, and we're uh, west of Fort Worth, about two hours in a small town called Throckmorton, and we raise, uh, I would be the sixth generation, and I have two little girls that would be the seventh, and we, we, our main thing is selling registered cattle, um, bulls that uh, working on building better genetics, genetics that are more efficient, whether it's um, having a calf that's born easier or um, an animal that marbles really well, that is really good as a ribeye on the plate. And there are some, and we can get really deep on a lot of that, the things that I really enjoy on that part. Uh, but then really I have, um, uh, I've, I guess it was 2021 that I really felt convicted to start telling the story of the American rancher. And um, I saw somebody that was a first generation rancher really sharing what she was doing in California. And I was like, man, if 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 I get excited about <clears throat> a first gen sharing it and, and I have the story of family history being involved for a long time and keeping the ranch and the family and the family and the ranch and why? that's a great story that people need to hear and I'm not telling it. So I guess the past two years I've really taken to social media and uh, grown a following. I'm, I'm almost a half a million followers across uh, a couple platforms and really enjoying sharing the life, the truth of the American rancher and, and agriculture. And Tucker, I think that's what actually like drew me to you when I saw your content, right? I mean, let's be totally honest. I'm a 52-year-old guy from the city of Philadelphia, right? Like, not a lot in common, but the one thing that spoke to me was your passion, and I think that's what translates. So that being said, 
can you share how following your passion has really shaped you personally and professionally? Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I've always had a passion for the ranching industry. Um, just being a part of my family and doing what working with my granddad, working with my dad, I've, I've always loved that. And, uh, and as I went to school and then I came back to the ranch in 2017, I, I had always loved media, any kind of media. Um, I always loved watching sports and watching sports broadcasters. And I had started my, uh, a sports broadcasting company in college to help pay my way. And that media, I just had an itch that I, that I needed. And, obviously I wanted to ranch. And so I was like, why don't I combine the two? And then I can get both the things that I really enjoy doing together. And since then it's made ranching more fun because I've been able to implement, um, implement my love for media into that, but also enjoy connecting with people. I'm, I am a people person. I, I enjoy being around them, whether it's at cattle conventions, whether it's, whether it's at a NFL football game, whether it's at a, um, new New Year's Eve ball drop. I mean, I really enjoy being around people that like to have fun and, and love on other people. So I get to do all of those things at the same time. And that's really where I've, I've found a lot of joy, not just happiness in the moment, but really joy in what I'm doing. And I think, uh, you know, in, in the public's eye, that's not what they vision when they see a rancher or they think of corporate farms maybe. And really, the truth is that over 90% of the farms and ranches in the U S are family owned or privately owned by people like me that have two girls that he wakes up and feeds in the morning. And uh, my wife teaches at, at the kindergarten. And I mean, we're just like everybody else. And I'm trying to share that. So, and I'm, I hope you can tell I'm having a lot of fun doing that. Well, it definitely speaks volumes in your content because I can, I can tell. Um, so you talked about the ranch a little bit and you mentioned earlier that this, your, your family's ranch, six generations goes back into the 1800s. Mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say ranching as far as American history, it's definitely what I would say more of a traditional industry, right? So how now have you kind of taken it where you blend the tradition and some of the innovation and what could some other industries possibly learn from your approach? That's a good question. Um, I'm really thankful for the family that that kind of trained me for what I do. Uh, both of my parents are very large on, I mean, just have treated, uh, trained me that communication is very, very important in anything, whether it's with the relationship uh, with family, with a loved one, with a friend or with your, with your coworkers. Uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And with, you know, recent technology, my family in the ranch also takes that. We do a lot of in vitro fertilization, um, embryo transfer, artificial insemination. I mean, we're bringing the sound science into ranching and where tradition meets technology, you know, and um, can you go one way or the other? Can you be too traditional? Yeah. Can you be too technological and forget the tradition? Yeah. And so we're trying to find that happy mix of what can we use to make us better? And if it's there, why not use it? So as, as a business, can you be too traditional and not use technology and suffer from that? Yeah. Or can you be too technological and forget the tradition of what got you to the dance? You can. So we're trying to find that that mix of that, of using the sound science that works and that can make us better because you don't have to change, but you do have to compete with those companies that do. And, um, you know, I see a lot of 
ag companies specifically, but others as well that allow tradition to suppress success. And when success is so easy to reach, but you're letting pride or tradition set in the way of that, it, it's frustrating to watch because of how easy I find it to mix technology and tradition together. But that's not the way everybody lives. And I understand that. So I'm very thankful for the the raising I had of, you know, of always looking for something to help to make us better to move forward. Yeah, and I think what you said there translates again to just not even just industry, Tucker. I think it translates to life, you know, mm-hmm. the way the way we approach our everyday life. So I think that's a really good, you know, link between industry and, and life. And and thanks for for that detailed answer. Appreciate that. Um, I know following you a little bit, you talk about being a community voice and basically being a voice for for ranchers. What does being a voice in your community mean to you? And how do you believe that it actually impacts society in general? Well, for, for the ag industry, very few people get into agriculture to talk to people. Really, it's a more of a getaway from people than it is to, to talk to people. So uh, I, I understand that our industry is that way. And I do love part of that, that I can get away if I need to. Uh, but like I said, I'm a people person. I love to communicate. I love to create relationships. And, um, you know, that is, if you don't have that voice, if you don't tell your story, somebody else will. That's the truth. Is that somebody else will tell your story if you don't. And for far too long, agriculture has had somebody else telling their story. And now we have generations up to three generations of people removed from the farmer ranch. And so all they know is what they hear. And with somebody else telling the story of things that may not be true or that um, are skewed to really one side, I just know. And I think the industry knows now that we have a story to tell and we have to, or it won't be the right one told. So being that voice, I'm, I mean, I'm very honored to do that. I'm, I, I kind of live for that. I'm like, all right, here's my spot. And anytime we can, we feel like we find our spot in work or in a relationship, you, you kind of feel your your place or where you're needed. And that's really where I feel. And I, I enjoy that, whether it brings fire to me or not. And, the, you know, the interesting thing about ag industry is that I, I'm kind of on a fence between, um, I mean, if you go to the opposite ends of the spectrum of the really, really traditional rancher and the, and the, and the vegan that wants to care for the animals, like the very, very, you know, opposite sides. I'm kind of being have rocks thrown at me from both sides, which has been really interesting and one that I didn't know would happen. So, you know, I think we have to have that voice for people to realize um, that. And another thing to think of is that those people may not be a part of agriculture, but they are voting on policies that will really affect agriculture. And if they don't know the whole story, then they can't, they they can't vote or it's harder for them to make the right decision on the vote if they don't know the whole story. So I necessarily I don't necessarily tell people the way to vote, but I just want them to have the whole story of what would happen. What's the consequence of each decision? And from there, they can make their own decision. So you touched on it a little bit there, and I was hoping we would get to this. And it's interesting the way you said it about you're getting the rocks thrown at you from both ends. Um I always find it interesting and I've gotten to talk to a lot of people who are in 
food related industries and services in other countries. Mm-hmm. Tucker, what what do you see as far as our country? I'll say right because I hear a lot of you know the negative. I hear about you know some people look at what you do as a negative, but let me just put it to, in this regard. What do you hope to accomplish as far as making sure that, you know, the health, the quality of the food, the everything, how do you kind of take on that responsibility? You know, I eat the product that I raise and I, it's, it goes on my table. It feeds my daughters. And so I don't want anything on there that's not safe, that's not healthy, um, that that wouldn't be good for my family or my friends that's eating the same product. And so the good thing about being a voice for agriculture is that I have nothing to hide because I'm raising the animals. Here's how I raise them. Here's the products that I use or don't use. And for the research I see and that I have to do a lot of research because it's my job. I mean, for the ranch to be going in the right direction, I think research is important. And so in the research that I know or that the the places I trust say, here's the products we can use that are safe for eating that are safe for the industry and that are safe for the environment as well. I mean, we have to think of that. That's the long run. I mean, that we take care of the land that we work on. So that's really where I, it just goes back to being personal and saying, is this safe? And it's like, it's safe for my family. We've been eating it since 1895. And here are some products maybe we don't use or that the industry has said no to because we found that it's not healthy for, for the plate. Uh, and so I do, we should want it to be safe. We shouldn't have to hide behind a veil or hide behind a wall and, and try to tell a lie because there's no reason to. And so our food should be safe. Ranchers want it to be safe because that means more people want the product. And, you know, some people are more and more worried about where their food comes from or wants to know where it came from. And, uh, you know, it goes back to that story, not being told that, the, the only thing they've heard is that some products being used are not healthy, but I haven't seen that. Yeah. I appreciate your answer there, especially I, I like how you talked about just not just the animals, even right. The ask all the different aspects of it, the land, things like that. And I think you can show you come across as extremely authentic and that you're looking to do what's right. And listen, when you're telling me you're feeding it to your family and you're looking to do what's right by your family, that gives me a lot of confidence in what you're doing. Um, it was a good segue though, what you talked about, because obviously there's challenges, right? And you face some negativity in your role. How do you, how do you overcome the challenges and the negativity and look to stay positive? Yeah. Great question. Um, I used to have pretty thin skin, especially when I started this social media. I mean, I'm used to working around all my agriculture folks and everybody's pretty kind to each other and they're shaking hands and helping each other out. But that's not how it is on social media. Um, I always wanted to be liked. I, I like to be liked by a lot of people. And I think doing the right things build towards that of people trusting you or, and, and liking what you do and supporting you. And um, so I, I had to ask a lot of questions to people who had gotten the flack before. Most of what I've learned is that the flack or the negativity comes from people who are um, not open-minded and will never, or will never change their mind, no matter what you say. And I had a, I had an old cowboy tell me, 
um, I was replying to a comment online that I was mad at. And he said, uh, he said, young man, uh, arguing with a fool proves that there are two. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're pretty right. And so I've found I've tried to find the places to not necessarily argue, but to uh, have the conversation. If it's an argument, I tend to stay out and it doesn't hurt me at all. But uh, I love to have the conversations or when people approach me to say, you use this product and I've heard bad things about it. Why do you use it? That's really where uh, that's where I want to be. That's the not negativity, but the the question or the curiosity is where I really uh, is where I really look towards because those are the folks that are open-minded and are saying, I've heard this, is this the truth? And that's what they're seeking is the truth. And if you're not seeking the truth and then I'm not going to be the guy to talk to you or spend the time to visit with you. I love that quote. Um, that's fantastic advice to the arguing with the fool. Um, I will, I will definitely remember that probably for the rest of my life. That was, I, um, God, that was, that was fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're sitting here with me now, obviously we're different. You, the cowboy hat, me, my flat cap. Right. But we're part of what I'll call a bigger online community that we can all kind of look to thrive in. So from your perspective, how do you identify and connect with what you see as maybe your ideal audience online and, and, why and you come across this way why is that community so important to you you know the community i'm i'm trying to reach is not the ag community um, because if that's my echo chamber that's the people who will support me whether i'm on social media or not but they're not the people that need to hear that beef is safe they already know <laughs> they already know that beef is safe and so I've always tried to find ways of reaching those that I would never have the opportunity to reach. And social media, j just like you've seen, has been able to give you the place to reach people that you would never have before. Um, I mean, without Zoom or social media, I don't know if you and I would have ever met. Right. So uh, I do. Authenticity is important to me because I think people can read right through uh, things that aren't authentic, things that are fake or whether it's an ad. And I think I know that <clears throat> people can read right through that. And building the trust back between the rancher and the consumer is one of my goals. And so if I don't, if I don't be authentic, if I don't care for those people who are following me that either want to learn something or are seeking the truth or just love the cowboy way of life, I mean, those are the, those are the folks that get my message out there. I can post it, but it's really those people sharing it that, that make the difference. So yeah, that, <clears throat> that community I'm looking for is one that I haven't met is one that's typically in the larger cities and probably, probably not in Texas. I mean, the, maybe the Dallas or Austin or San Antonio areas, but most of the time I'm trying to reach people outside of that. That's interesting to me. And, and and I wanted to ask this and this and I want to apologize in advance because this may be a stupid question, but that's never stopped me before. So I want to ask anyway, um, have you found in your industry that since I feel like TV with Yellowstone, all those shows, has that impacted you in a way where it's it's starting to shine a bigger spotlight on someone like you? 
Oh, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Really, I am riding on the coattail of what I call the Yellowstone effect. Uh, there's been, I mean, being a cowboy has kind of become cool again and in a large fashion. So there, there are some in our industry that don't like Yellowstone, but really what I've seen is that it's made people more interested in our way of life. And I think that's a good thing that, that, uh, that they know we're real, that they know what we're doing and are kind of growing a respect for it just by watching the show. And so one, we do have to be careful because that spotlight is on us and watching us and it's like, all right, what do you actually do? And we have to, I mean, we need a good first impression. And so far, I think we've done that of, of representing the Western way of life really well. So uh, I, I hope you can tell I'm open-minded. It's, it's a thing that I'm, I mean, I'm always seeking the truth and um, that's a, uh, I've really enjoyed riding the coattail because it's really done nothing but help me on social media. So I've enjoyed it. So with that spotlight, right, more responsibility. So how, how does that social responsibility, what does that mean to you? And how do you give me some examples of how maybe you look to, maybe you're paying a little more attention now, not that you weren't before, but maybe knowing now the spotlight's even greater. What are some of the ways that you may incorporate things into your daily work that you're really thinking about that more? Yeah, from from a lot of research, we found that the the beef consumer is very concerned about the way that animals are treated. And the good thing is, is that a large, large majority of ranchers are too. Just like in Indian any industry, there there are some there are some bad bugs in there. And that's not who represents us. But they typically tend to be the loudest ones. So I'm, I'm doing my best along with trying to encourage others of, hey, look, we, we need to show that all, most of us, a very large majority of us, agree with the consumer. The animal should be treated right. It should be treated with respect and should have great, you know, the land should be taken care of. It should be a win, 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 a win, a win for uh, the consumer, a win for the land and a win for the cow. It should be that cow should have good life, good grass all the help it can get. If it's sick and needs medication, the cowboy should be able to give it and helping, you know, helping share that of the reason why I think that really eases people's minds. And if somebody is scared of antibiotics or getting, because I say, Hey, I can either let this calf die of pneumonia. I can let it suffocate, or I can give it three cc's of an antibiotic and it'll get the pneumonia away. I think we would all agree that we would like to save the calf's life. Hmm. And whenever you can share that why, um, that's really what I've looked looked for more recently with that bigger spotlight is like, okay, why do we do this? Because I have to be able to explain it or otherwise it's not going to look very good. Yeah, and I think, I think, again, just your authenticity, I think it does come across. And I think for people that may have, you know, they're tentative about beef for the industry. I think you are good for the industry because you, you present it in a light that I think is very open and honest and it doesn't, it doesn't come across like you're trying to hide anything. And I think that's what is needed. Um, so we talk a little bit about the cowboy, right? But I don't want to miss this part. There's, there's more to it, right? So 
could you share some insights maybe on your educational journey and, and the role that played in preparing you for being able to manage a successful ranch? Yeah, sure. Uh, whenever, um, I mean, I talked about sports a little bit. I went to a division two college in the panhandle of Texas to, to play basketball and I really enjoyed it. And the school I went to wasn't necessarily an ag school. Um, it really wasn't at all. And so I, I left my small hometown where everybody was ag and went to a place where nearly I was the only one. The cool part was, is that I got to learn what the average consumer thought of the ranching industry. And as I was getting my degree as well, I was really learning what these people thought or what they knew or how separated they were. I mean, I was just as separated from them as they are from ranching. And so I, we, I had to relearn to communicate or change my cowboy lingo um, so that it was more easily understood and, and received. So the after I graduated from Lubbock Christian University, I went to um, TCU Ranch Management to really hone in my skills on managing ranch, on being able to budget and treat it like a business, uh, learning where to go whenever I do have problems. And I really enjoyed my time there. And the, the thing I think people don't take advantage of enough is an, the network that they're around. Just a, a network is so powerful. And being able to pick up a phone and call and find the right answer really fast is important in ranching. And I think it could be used really anywhere. And I just wish more people would use that. But since they don't, it gives me the opportunity to have almost an upper hand in my business. Um, so I had, that's another part of communication. I, I think it's important. And not only did I learn about ranching, but I learned I don't have to know it all. But if I know somebody who knows, that's almost just as good. Yeah, that and again, that's another tidbit from this interview that I think people will gain a lot from. It, it is so important and it translates for every everything. I mean, Tucker, I'm in healthcare analytics. I've been in it for, you know, 30 plus years. And what you just said there is something that I preach to my own people about knowing where to go. So yeah, that's definitely relatable and it translates well. Um, so looking ahead a little bit, what are your hopes for the future in regards to sustainable ranching and the role it's going to play in our society? Yeah, that's an interesting question that a lot of us have been asking ourselves too. Uh, looking forward, I, I do think for beef, I think there will be, um, there's a lot of ranchers really worried about traceability coming in, about knowing where these animals were raised and what rancher had that animal. And I can see why. I mean, I, I can see some some negatives from that, but what other business in the world can sell a product and and not have a number or a name on there to where you know where that product came from? Um, and so just as far as business, I think it's smart business for the industry to know where that comes from. Uh, but I, uh, that's a touchy subject for a lot of people. Uh, as far as sustainability... The, ran the ranching industry has done a really good job of listening to the consumer and, and selling what they want. And um, the, low de the lowest demand for beef was back in the 70s and 80s, a little bit of the 90s. 
And we found that the consumer wants quality. They want choice. They want prime beef. They want really high quality beef. And so we've changed that and we've tripled it, the, the amount that we're making in a really short amount of time. And that's where that genetic progress comes in of using that sound science and making quick changes. And, uh, I, you know, I think the best is yet to come. I mean, I think we're going to be able to, I think we're going to be able to breed animals that are, that are born easy, that are good mothers, that grow fast, that, uh, that marble really well, that need less feed to produce more beef. And, you know, being more sustainable is good for everybody. And I, you know, there's, there are some that there are, there is some in the ranching industry, letting that tradition suppress success. And in the next 20 years is going to be the largest land transfer that, that the U S has ever known from, from grandpa down to the next generation. And that's, that's going to be a swivel point. I think on, are we, are we going to change our, um, are we going to change our ways of, really learning how to improve soil health are we gonna or are we gonna keep doing the same thing and i i think there are a lot of people already taking that time to learn what it means to use rotational grazing to um to let the land rest or to be able to keep animals off the land when it needs to because if the land's not good the cows aren't good the rancher doesn't make money so for the rancher, it's better that the land is good. And that's the another connection that we have with the consumer is, hey, we want the land to be good too. We want it to be sustainable. That means we stay in business. That means you eat good beef. The win-win-win. Hmm. Great, great segue. So from coming from a guy who lives, you know, big city and all the consumers out here, from a rancher, what would you give as some advice for us, the consumer, to be on the lookout for, because I don't think we really think about it when we hit our supermarket, right? A lot of chain supermarkets. I'll be honest. It's, I know growing up, my parents, we had a butcher that was local. So we would get, and I could tell a difference between beef we got from the butcher compared to what we bought from the supermarket, but any tips or things that you think folks should look out for in the bigger cities, especially when they're, when they're buying their beef. The good, the good news is, is that the beef in the supermarket and the beef, whether you buy it local at the butcher or at the supermarket, the good news is if it is, um, if it is inspected, then the beef is safe. As long as it's been inspected and taken care of, um, we have the safest beef supply in the, in, in the world. And so I do want to start with that. That's the good news. And my family eats what we produce. We also eat it from the supermarket. If I see steaks for sale, I'm buying. I like steaks as much as anybody. So that's the good news. Other thing I think to watch out for, um, I think a lot of it is just knowing what certain words mean. I mean, knowing the difference between select, choice, and prime beef. I mean, that's your grades of how good is this? What's the marbling inside it? How's the taste and the tenderness? So learning what those mean and I think we we like to know more now than ever about where our beef comes from or um, how it was raised or what products were used on it. And you can find that by buying a certain brand of beef, whether it's certified Angus beef or Rancher's Reserve. You can find these um, companies that fit your style of consumption. 
and or whether it's really really lean beef. I mean, they're there. That's the cool part is we can we have this choice. It's just knowing what those words mean and finding the one that we really like. For me, if it's high choice or prime, I can eat all kinds of beef. If it's choice or prime beef, um, the select I tend to stay away from just because it it tends to be a little less high quality, tends to be a little less tender. Um, I love all beef, but if I'm gonna if I had a choice, I'm choosing choice and prime. So those I think those are the things to look out for. I I don't think there's anything scary coming down the line. Um, some folks are worried about you know shipments of beef coming in from Australia and being called United States beef, but really what that means is that it was inspected by the U.S., which is a good thing. Um, could we be more clear and transparent on that this came from Australia and was inspected? I think so, uh, but that's much bigger much bigger politics than just myself can change. So do we have things to fix in the industry? I think we do. Being transparent is a good thing. And, uh, but I don't think we as consumers have anything to be scared of. That's the good news. Yeah, that is good to hear because like you, I, I don't raise beef obviously, but I love beef and steak and burgers and I can go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, So, I wanted to end with this question. So I think is ranching in general, right? It, it, I think it intimately connects you with what I'll say the circle of life. I mean, basically from birth to maturity and eventually the end. Um, can you share maybe a personal story of a moment that, you know, deeply moved you and highlighted the, the beauty and poignancy of the whole circle of life in your work? Most of that tends to come about this time of year. Um, right now is, is our calving season. That's when the cows are having their babies. Most of the time when I feel, when I feel that the biggest connection is when I'm able to save a cow and a calf. And I know that the, the, the mother's having trouble. We check them every four hours through the night to make sure that they don't have trouble having their babies. And if they do, we want to be there to help. Because if we didn't help, nature takes its place and it's coyotes or wolves or something that that ends that cycle, right? So we want to help that, get them to a place where we can help and see what's going on. And a lot of times in these urban areas, you know, vets are pretty good ways away. And so that's where the phone call comes in. Hey, here's what I got. What can I do? How can I save it? And whether the calf is coming out backwards or um, upside down, there's things that we've been able to learn from our vets of here's, here's what's wrong. Here's how to fix it. Let's save the cow and the calf. So those are my favorite times. Um, I was horseback and, uh, saw a cow having trouble and there were two coyotes that were around her waiting for her to lay down, but she hadn't laid down yet, thankfully. So I found her, I got her into our barn, helped turn that calf around. And with the help of um, help of my family too, we were able to get that calf to come out correctly. And those that's the time where I really felt the most connected because the cow was about to die. She was really, really stressed in birth. And uh, just knowing that you saved that animal and that it was in a really bad spot and without your help, probably wasn't going to live. That's where I really felt the most connected. And you know what? I'll share this now. 
Tucker and I were supposed to uh, have this interview a week ago, and there was a situation where there was a calf coming backwards, right? Yep, that was it. That was it. Yeah. Thankfully, there were no coyotes involved, but this one was coming out backwards, and yeah, we had that. We had the the you know podcast planned, and I knew I wasn't going to make it. So uh, yeah, I told Tucker and that- the cow did. And I'm glad that, that was what I wanted you to share that everybody survived. So yeah. great job by, on, on you. Um, and also I don't, it's a story for me to tell, right. I don't think I'll ever have a podcast again, postponed due to that reason. Right. Um, well, Tucker, listen, it's been really fun and an honor to speak to you. Um, it's been interesting for me. Um, but I think, you know, for the audience listening, right. I think this again shows the power of, social media and technology, right? We have probably couldn't be more different, two guys here, right? But as we're different, we're a lot alike. And I think that's something that you can all take from that. And I think through conversations, we all continue to learn about each other and and we learn about the good, the bad, and we figure things out. And, and Tucker, it's been great and a lot of great things you talked about that I think are translatable. I wanted to give you an opportunity here. How can people, you know, follow you more and let's keep that Yellowstone spotlight shining. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I'm on uh, just a handful of platforms, Facebook, um, TikTok, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And um, Tucker Brown, RAB stands for RA Brown Ranch, but Tucker Brown, RAB tends to be, um, tends to be my handle on a lot of things and hopefully this year is going to be the best one yet. I just made my first time hire first hire. Oh, did we freeze a little bit? Yeah. Just go back to first year. This is going to be the best year yet. Go back to that part. Um, so this, I'm hoping this will be the best year yet. I just made my first hire. Um, some, this guy's going to come in and help me really, hopefully double down on what I'm doing. Um, I, I feel like I'm going in the right direction and uh, starting a podcast, starting a YouTube channel and really hoping to show more of the ranching lifestyle and and the good that we do and, and telling that story like I believe it should be told. And that's transparency and the truth. So Tucker Brown, RAB, follow me. I love answering questions. I, I love, like I said, those people that are seeking the truth, that's just where I love being in conversations with. So yeah, I appreciate all the follows and also appreciate the questions that you asked today. Really good and get the mind rolling. And um, also really cool to hear those questions coming um, from a guy like yourself, like you said, really separated in in our culture and location. Uh, so thanks for the good questions today. Yeah, no, it was my pleasure. Like I said, if I, I, I really take it serious when someone's willing to give me time. So part of my job is to two things I need to do. I need to do research and make sure I'm not embarrassing myself or the guests and answering good questions. But more importantly, and my dad always tells me this, ask your question, shut up and listen. (laughs) So, well, listen, thank you again. And thanks everyone for listening. Uh, Please follow Tucker. Looking forward to everything you got going on and the following more. Um, Like I said, again, thanks everyone. Really appreciate the support. Tucker, thank you. You take care. Thanks again. Will do. This has been the Bear Essentials. Thanks for listening. And remember, never hibernate on your goals. 